Machination Log 002. Selfish Selflessness. Hey everybody, welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast, Machination Log 002. Uh, we finally managed to get a phone call going, and uh, we got Jacob Paddock on the line. Jacob, who are you? Uh, I'm David's brother, and I live in California. What are you doing in California? Why'd you move all the way out there? Uh, I'm out in California because I am a refrigeration technician, and I had some relatives out here, and I didn't want to completely start over, but I wanted to get the hell away from home to experience something else. Fantastic. To his virtual left, Mitchell, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing much better now. Sounds and good. Ryan? Still here. Still here. Absolutely. The topic for this machination log was Jacob's pick, because he is the new guest. Jacob, what are we talking about this week? Uh, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, the distinction between selfishness and selflessness. Um, because as someone who drives a lot, a lot of people's worst persons come out on the road. <laughs> and it's one of those, I drive with the mindset of don't be an asshole to other people. But I have yet to find many people who uh, I think share that with me. And I'm just I'm curious what other people's take on at what point do you stop caring about yourself and you need to start caring about other people or vice versa, where it's what what point do you need to start caring about yourself and stop caring about other people? That is an oddly noble goal, and to dress that in the form of driving is particularly weird, because people who are driving, when, whenever anything happens on the road, generally speaking, it's stressing you out, because it's not doing, whatever's happening on the road is not exactly conforming to what you expected to have happen on the road. So any interaction, any interaction, if you will, you have with people on the road is going to be in the form of problems. Driving is also very yeah. anonymous. It's like internet comment sections. You can just associate your other drivers as vehicles, not as people, because you don't really see them. I'm a Republican also. on the road and a Democrat out of the road, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, uh, and just like the internet, the people go away. <clears throat> Cuts you off, you blare your horn, you wish him death, and then he drives away and you forget him. Do you still have a motorcycle in California? I do. It's actually my only transportation. Because in California, lane splitting is legal, which is it is not in any other state. Have you uh, gotten to do that very much? And how does that kind of tie into the whole selflessness versus selfishness? Because I feel terrible. I feel angry when motorcycles try to pass me like that. Um, uh, I've done it a couple of times. Uh, I don't usually get a ton, a ton of time to drive on the weekends. So when I do, when I do it, I'm always super careful because I'm always, I have never laid a bike down and I don't want to experience that anytime soon. But it's one of those things where I am getting out of the way in traffic. It's one of the things I've never understood where it's like, oh, a motorcycle parked there. They should have to park somewhere else. Well, you drove there by yourself. You're just a car in traffic. I'm getting out of the way so someone else can have my slot. This sounds like some pretty post hoc nobility you have going on here. <laughs> well, it's it's one of the things where 
the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I found that in a bunch of situations, I've ended up shooting myself in the foot, worrying about other people. Uh, and I bring up driving because it's I always look in my mirrors before I make a turn to see if there's someone behind me. And if someone's behind me, I take the turn way too fast. That way they don't have to put their brakes on. I kind of do the same thing. I was driving the other day to uh, a store nearby. and I missed my exit on I-4 because the lane next to me that was the exit lane was too crowded. And I don't want to just force myself in there and make somebody else break. I figured I can just go to the next exit, loop around. It'll take me a couple extra minutes, but that's not a big deal. It's better than stressing everybody out by trying to force myself in or just slowing down so I actually have room to get in there. And, uh, yeah, we are still doing phrasing, I think. That's... No, I... Doing all right, old man Riley? No, see, see, I drive... I don't know if you see my new car, but I drive a small red convertible now. He drives his dick around. Yeah, I drive my, I drive my cac around... Do you just and, force yourself in there? Yeah, man. You know, I just, I just spread, I just spread them apart and just go right for it. You know, it doesn't matter. It's he drives a red Miata. I drive no, MX-5, please. It sounds sexier when it's an MX-5. But I, <laughs> but I find that there's no place my car can't fit. To be honest with you, like if that, like, well, they have to break. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and this is why that metaphor works. So yeah, well. and I, and the good thing, I mean, I approach driving that I feel like I'm, I'm safest when I'm avoiding other people so I can I consciously try to go around people so that I can have like open road in front of me so whenever I'm in a front air you know in an area where I have people around me I just uh, as my great-grandmother used to say I don't take stress I give it and I think that's a great motto for driving for me because it's like if, if I'm around other people I'm worried about them they're the they're the assholes they're the idiots like I know what I'm doing and so I as quick as I can get around them and then just go out in front of them so I don't have to deal with them oh see that philosophy works fine with me I'm an awful driver but it's still better that there's no one around me so that when I make a mistake there's no one to blame me oh oh very good yeah so you like you the, the, the comfort of the crowd then no I hate no I hate the crowd yeah, I okay. love driving at night in the rain because there's no one around nice yeah that's that's the way I prefer to drive. You like you like driving? You'd hate being out here in LA. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> There's no rain out there. As soon as it rains, people lose their minds and just park on the road. <laughs> but it doesn't rain. It's like twice a year, something like that for Los Angeles. That's why people lose their minds. Yeah. They said it was going to be a rain event. Warning signs. The, the stupid siren thing went off on all the phones. They were expecting half an inch of rain. Yes. In a day. Yeah, over the that's course a, of a day. A Where would that rain go? Yeah. Where would that water go? You don't. Uh, that's not. David, we that's can not get a, a lot of water. We can get a half inch of rain in twenty minutes in a Florida thunderstorm. I know. I was be. being exasperated, like yeah. Californians. I was trying to imagine what half an inch of rain is, and honestly, if that fell in a sheet, we'd probably be fine. Yeah, Floridians don't care. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just live with it, baby. Yeah. But if, if anything, you go a little bit faster. Hydroplaning keep you safer. So as far as selfishness goes, though, I mean that <laughs> talking about selfishness versus selflessness. Um, I mean, do do we want to blow that out to the idea of talking just about you versus other people, thinking about other people? Um, no, because it's. I mean, everything here had me kind of thinking about that. Like, there's trash everywhere, and it's one of those like. If you throw a piece of trash on the ground, then it's you going, oh, I'm done with this. And you have no thought of the fact that that piece of trash doesn't just go away. It's there now. It has feelings. 
It is it actual cries. garbage. Yeah. But um No, I think so, littering littering is the like ultimate dick move. I do think that's just like I I find that repre- I find that reprehensible. Like people that litter, I really do. At least in yeah, driving, there's some be... give and take there about whether your actions can be considered selfless or selfish. Like they're they're uh, when you're in a parking lot or something, for example, if someone say doesn't have a stop sign and they stop to let you go when you do have a stop sign or when you do not have a right of way, they're trying to be selfless, but they're just screwing everybody else over. Oh. If you have the yes. right of way, you should go. Oh. You should be self selfish in those situations. Oh. But that's whereas but littering, that's one of those there's where nothing it's not selfish. That's for the greater good. But they're, from their point of view, it is being selfless, though. But I, like, I, was, thinking about, I was thinking about it a lot also because, um, like in a relationship also, when you're talking about doing something for someone else that doesn't benefit you, um, is there a po- like, what's the point where you need to stop worrying about someone else and you need to start worrying about yourself? Because I have a bunch of friends who have kind of shot themselves because they weren't worried about themselves they were worried about someone else well but do you have any examples of that in your life or are you just are you just vacillating over people or actually i guess first are these people here or there um i'm not sure what you mean by that so are they in california they are, or uh, are they oh, new are they newer old friends place oh, okay uh, that's neither friends. here nor there they yeah. English. Yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah, that's that's important. It's it's those things that can be considered selfless or selfish that can get people into trouble. I think more than littering, which is always going to be selfish. There's nothing selfless about littering. That's not something. That's black and white, really. Whereas in a relationship or in driving or in other things, there's more gray area there, I think. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where I found it uh with my work when you're doing like if you're changing out a motor, it only takes about an hour if you're good. But people take four hours because if they do it in an hour, they get sent out another call. But the company thinks you're going to take four hours, so you're technically okay there. But I have trouble sitting there and taking four hours because I want to do the best for me and the best for the company. Do you strive for excellence? Not necessarily. I just don't want to be that guy who they go, oh, well, you took four and a half hours to do something that was supposed to take four hours and you do it every time. I want to make sure that when they look at me, they think, oh, he tries. He does really well. What fraction of the people you work with, not to rat them out, we haven't said where you work, so that's fine. Uh, what right. fraction? I don't know the people I work with either. So, what fraction of them do you suspect do that? A hundred percent. So you're one of them. And you're one of those rats that takes four and a half hours. It's one of those things that I debated with because it's the company tells you it's going to take four hours, and if you don't do it in four hours, you're shortchanging yourself. So I had, you have to kind of debate whether or not you're supposed to do the correct thing, which is take four hours, or you let your own nar- uh, narcosi take over and go, oh, well, you should have it done faster. Why are you taking this long? Something that comes across in budgeting as well for companies, uh, I, I think especially for companies that are contracted with the government, but also I'm sure for private companies with different departments. Do not 
Do you, not make the assumption that this is ever a state problem. The enough. government I'm is... I'm not blaming the state. The, but. The, the, state is, the state frequently gets a bad rap for this. I work for a company that works with a lot of companies, and they all screw each other the same way. Well, if you have a particular budget that you're supposed to send, if you come under that, that can be bad for you because the next year, the next fiscal year, they're going to cut your budget in a similar fashion because they don't expect you to need that money that they had given you the previous year. So a lot of times you want to spend frivolous money or money that you don't need to spend just so that your budget doesn't get cut for the next fiscal year. But you're both blaming the system. I mean, what's the solution blaming, here? I'm not blaming the system. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. It's just the way that those budgeting systems work. And I think that that can be something that's misattributed as waste when it comes to the government or just bloat in, in private industry. But it's not necessarily the case. It's just a department trying to look out for itself in the long term because you don't want to get your budget cut in the long term just because you came under your budget in the short term. But we're talking about at a managerial level. We're talking pretty <laughs> we're talking pretty high up the totem pole here. Is it worth I mean, and Jacob's question comes back to it, is it that the adherence to bureaucracy is worth the additional waste? I mean, and you both, Jacob explicitly, but Mitchell in bringing it up implicitly, it seems wrong to live under a system like that, but does that mean that defying that system is justified? I mean, Jacob, it sounds like to some degree you do. I mean, do you spend an hour as opposed to four and a half hours? Um, not necessarily. Are you blowing I, all your other <laughs> employees cover? It it depends on how lame the job is, to be perfectly honest. If I if the job is boring, you be, you bang it out as fast as possible, you do a good enough job and then you move on. Whereas if you have someone with you who you're talking with or you're going out to eat, yeah, you're going to take the full 4 hours. This is a very dangerous conversation to be having. Is but it? but I How's suppose that? I suppose as long as everyone's doing it, it's all fine. So No, it's just it's a weird thing. I mean it's not like I don't encounter this. Ryan, is there an educational equivalent to this? Yeah, you, you tend to have this you know this, this expectation of what you have to accomplish. And if we if we change over like the time it takes us, because we don't get paid per hour, we don't I don't I haven't clocked in I haven't clocked into a job in like five years and I've never been happier to be honest with you but like there is this like the strange thing is that you know we in education you tend to have this idea that you know the bloat that you're talking about is a problem because when you are working or teaching with a class you have to kind of have this expectation of like you know what are what are our goals what are we trying to accomplish here in general but then you know, you're always in this, you have to deal with the customer, I guess, or your students that you deal with. And like their expectation is to do as little as possible. And your expectation is to actually try to accomplish a goal to like have them achieve. And so if you're talking from like a managerial set of problems, like the bloat that they're talking about, like they, there's no incentive for them to like do anything extra or to take any longer. So I don't really, I have this like weird balance where I'm actually trying to like get them to do their job, to do more of their job to a certain extent. And from my perspective, like, I just want to get done with my work as quickly as possible with the tasks that I've kind of assigned myself. I mean, I could work a hell of a lot less at my job if I wanted to, but I don't tend to do that. This has gotten horribly holistic. This has gotten horribly mathematical in a way that uh, 
doesn't beget education, but it ends up being the way that it comes across. I mean, you want to you want to bring in a holistic measure where the students are, I guess, an intangible measure where the students want to be learning what you're teaching them. And that just, it becomes, once you average it out over enough semesters and look far enough into the horizon, that it just becomes hard to reconcile that with the reality of the students you get. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want them to want to do it. I just have a system where they have to do it. And that's kind of the pro. you know, I don't care if they like what they're doing or not. They just fail the class if they don't do it. So whether they enjoy it or not is really beside the point for me to a certain extent. Like, I, I assign my students a lot of work. And they either fucking do it or they fail. And there is, I've never failed a student that did the work, if you know what I mean. Like, there's just, there's no way, there's, mathematically, there's no way to fail my class if you <laughs> do the work. I mean, you're not, you're not going to get an A, but you sure as hell will pass my class if you do the work that I assign my students. And once again, that's a burden that I place on myself. You know, I don't show up late. I get the work turned back on a timely manner. I don't dick around with my end of the uh, end of the job. And the only way that I can, like, demonstrate that, demonstrate that, my expectations are not so bad is if I hold up my end of the bargain, right? The commitments I've made to my students. And so, you know, the bloat that goes into it, you know, they don't need to know how long it takes me to grade papers, but I fucking get them back within a week and with, you know, with comments, with, you know, with everything as well. So, you know, the bloat that I have is sort of self-imposed, but the strange thing is, is that they almost would, they almost would appreciate if I took my job easier which is the strangest thing I've ever encountered in my life. Like, and almost, <laughs> and almost the antagonistic, antagonistic relationship that I have almost wants me to work harder to, like, demonstrate that, you know, this is what it takes to succeed. Because, you know, you work hard, you're responsible, and you're tenacious. What can't you accomplish if you have those three things? Is there any pressure for you as an educator to have your classes meet a certain grading Curve. Yes, I've had. I've been on. I should probably shouldn't mention that. Fuck it. Um, yeah, I'm on the. I'm on the list now. I had too. I had too many students withdraw and fail for my classes. So now, you know, it's the subtle, ever so. You know, the subtle, ever so subtle method of saying, you know, perhaps you need to reevaluate. Uh, perhaps you know you can probably adjust how you run your courses so that this doesn't happen in the future. And, you know, I did kind of assess. You know, maybe I was a little bit too harsh or maybe there could have been like a soft landing, so to speak, in the course so that, you know, the first jarring of the fact that, you know, if you turn in an essay and you like, you know, structure it piss poorly, you know, that, that it doesn't like wound your grade too severely in the first part there. I, I mean, that happened to me in AP literature. Right. Uh, it turns out if you do absolutely none of the work that's required of you over the summer, it's really, really hard to do well in that class. Yes. Um, and I ended up turning back around because I just couldn't stand being in a class where the teacher was spending most of the time worried about the conduct of the students, and I eventually pulled it back out the other side. But the trampoline is very nice to have. Yeah. Yeah. The ability for redemption beyond the first week or two is something I can absolutely understand. Yeah. Well, so in a high school class, you're there for a whole year, whereas in a college class, it's just one 16 semester. weeks, yeah, 16 yeah. weeks. But it was something that... a bit different. I did kind of take it... I did maybe, you know, do a little bit of reevaluation on how I approached it. But it's just, like I said, it's just really strange where the people that you're engaging with want you to do less. Like, you know, yeah. stop caring so much. Like, stop being so energetic when you're in discussions and lectures. You know, like, like just give us a break, you know? And it's like, no, we're pushing forward. We're talking. We're We're engaged you know, get the work in, and it's, like I said, every class they have something due, and it's funny that they're, like, you know, it gets, what do they say, it, it's, like, over, it's overbearing, you know, that it's, like, it's just too much, and it really, 
it really isn't. But it's still fun, at least for me. But I wouldn't know what to do otherwise. If I that sounds pretty forward. selfish of you, Ryan. It is selfish, but it's for their own good. And if I can teach anything to this... That sounds so selfless, Ryan. I thank you. And it is, because it's for their own good. <laughs> so in your, in your perspective, though, in, in your job, you're the person who's doing the job in one hour because you can. You're not stretching it out to four hours just because that's what's expected of you. You're trying to do a better job than the expectations. Yeah, well... It's, Yes, in a sense too, because once again, there's like I have no, I have no oversight. I mean, if I if I go through the tenure process, you know, they have they really get into your shit a little bit more. You know, they like evaluate, you know, your exams and they evaluate all these things. And you know, really, it's just the soul crushing process of becoming what they want you to be. And you know, when you have these kinds of expectations where you have like oversight, I mean, really, as long as you know, I don't have students complaining about my conduct. If I don't have students. Uh, you know, failing my course on mass, or if I'm not giving away, if I'm not, you know, you, you got to do the Goldilocks, right? You're not too difficult, but you're not too easy. And it's really not hard to find that, to find that either. But I mean, what is it about other jobs where this pressure to just, you know, find this like mushy middle, and then just like exist in this fucking state of mediocrity? I mean, why is that the case? Because I find that that's, you know, once again, if I try to, if I try to have students be excellent in my class and I don't want to sound like an idealist here but I strive or want some excellence from my students. No, that's the intangible I was talking about. Yeah, I, like, and I think a lot of it just has to it ties into the adequacy. Ah, it ties into the ah, adequacy question. All you have to do is do enough. And then <laughs> we'll just edit that 5 seconds out. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you? Yeah, no, but I think you're right. This is where, no, no, this is where doing enough is actually the worst thing possible, right? Yeah, no, all you're doing it's, is like... All you're doing enough. is exactly enough to get along with it. You are deliberately not caring about it so that you can spend emotional energy in places you actually want to use it. Either because you don't have enough emotional energy to just carry yourself through the entire day or because you, you want to care about other things more. And I assume most people run into that particular conundrum since right. presumably a lot of people don't like what they do for a living. I mean, that, that has been the, the refrain for the last... That's why everybody had to talk about back in the... I keep saying Gen X as if it's the only generation before ours. I, I'm sure there's a specific generation that did that. But everybody talked about following your dreams. The reason they had to keep saying that was because people hated their jobs. I mean, if people were okay with their jobs, you wouldn't need to follow your dreams. Like, that, that message would make no sense. Um, and following your dreams, in any case where it didn't end up being particularly um, selfless in a way, um, the more selfish ones prevailed. You ended up, uh, the only dreams that mattered were the ones that made money. <laughs> by the time you get to our generation, which is why it's so hard to go into a non-STEM career. I mean, everybody talks about I had an environmental science teacher, I think Jacob had him as well, maybe Mitchell did, uh, named Mr. Crawford, um, who he just, he hammered that you should go into a STEM career regardless of what else you want to do because you can follow your dreams after you make a bunch of money with that. And granted, I am in no way suggesting that is not the right way to go. But it sucks that that is the only way to go now. If you want real disposable income to actually pursue the thing you want to do, I mean, we had, we didn't have Ursula on the program, but Javier, 
Javier Ramey was on the program for our Generational Shift episode, and he was talking about how his sister, who works her ass off at whatever she does, couldn't square having a kid and a job in journalism simultaneously. I mean, that is, journalism is not a selfless career right. by any stretch of the imagination. Or, no, 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 I guess, I guess, uh, reverse that. It's, being a journalist is only selfish in the sense that you get to write if that's exactly what you want to do. Because mm-hmm. in other, in any other sense, being a good journalist in this day and age is perfectly selfless because you make absolutely no money doing it. Right. And... That's really twisted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard she worked. She could not consider herself a reliable parent without eschewing this promise of the single-minded focus of being exactly who you want to be. And I think a whole lot of people, once you take that chip out of the possibility, mm-hmm. out of the stack, all you're left with are jobs where you need to make enough money to survive and you... You try not to think about work because everything surrounding work is so instrumental in just making money, and you just don't care about any of the rest of it. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that because, I, I mean, I definitely disagree with the the horse crap that we we're force-fed as kids. Oh, follow your dream. You can be anything if you go to college. No, 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 no. We, our generation didn't get that. The generation before did. <laughs> Maybe the, the I got message the wrong had, teachers. The, the message had but, shifted by the time we went to school. But it's one of those, you, you don't have to pursue what you want, because as a kid, you don't know what you want. And that's one of those things where you try. I'm trying to figure out when you need to stop worrying about yourself and start worrying about like other people, because at some point in your childhood, you need to be selfish. You need to go do stuff for you to figure out what you want to do. Because you don't necessarily need to pursue your dreams, but you need to, to have a job that you don't actively hate. Like, I don't... Was my dream job to work on uh, Costco freezers? No. But I like what I do. I enjoy it. I just... <laughs> there's there's a weird irony to that idea, though, of having to take care of yourself first, is that the experience that almost everyone talks about, and it's one of the most reliable ways to make yourself happy, despite the fact that it is so completely um, outside, is so practically beyond the pale for most young people, is doing charity work. That is almost always the thing that people talk about as being what defines them. It is what builds character. And it's, granted, only a small subset of human beings ever end up actually doing any of that for an extended period of time and most of them tend to be rich and uh, they were going to be fine no matter what. Has anyone here ever done any charity work before? Not f- not for a meaningful amount of time. I've donated small amounts of money to charity. Really? No one's ever like worked in anything like that? I mean, I'm not trying to pass judgment or anything like that. I worked for an adult illiteracy program in Gainesville and I did it for several years when I moved back. I would believe that I did some amount. No, I did something in high school. I just would have to think a lot harder to remember what it was. Right. But it's not not in my deliberative years. Okay. And it's something I've actually, it's funny, you know, Jacob brought this up, uh, brought this topic up. It is actually something that I've considered getting back into. Um, I have no spare time anymore, but it's still something that just because I haven't done it, it seems like something I should have done by now for myself, ironically enough, is to have that experience. Because it is one that 
It is one that a lot of people talk about as being, in the ironic way that altruism tends to be, very good for you, having benefited other people. I mean, Ryan, you, you're giving me skeptical looks like you don't believe that. No, I, uh, I'm not going to bullshit you here. Uh, I learned, you know, I, 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 worked with, I worked with adults who didn't know how to read, and you learn uh, there, is, there is no way that you could understand what life is like for someone like that without talking to them and seeing and, and, and understanding that experience interpersonally. And it's, it is, and I don't mean to say that you get the feeling, the good feeling you get is that, you know, you, you appreciate what you have or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's complex. It really is complex. The amount of the emotional fulfillment that is both selfless and selfish because you realize how lucky and gifted you were yeah, selfless and selfless. It's you realize how how lucky you are. I mean, to have I don't want to be white, socioeconomically well off, to have a decent brain, like to have all of those conditions kind of line up to the fact that, you know, I was raised by someone who who could read and who read to me and this was important and it was emphasized and I had the means and the ability and I've got a a decent brain that helped me develop these talents on my own and to like meet and experience someone who had some a deficiency in some of those ways it was you both get a feeling of how like we just went through this with this holiday this past week weekend like thankfulness like true thankfulness is strange and it's it, it in a selfish sense that is a good feeling but at the same time you know if you worked with someone for six months and you see an appreciable difference and know that this will like make a difference in their life and that you know, you see the person you worked with and they like read to their like grandkid for the first time, you know, that's like really powerful, you know, and it's yeah. not something that like, I didn't feel like I gave that to them. It was like, you know, something that, that they didn't have before. And it wasn't, I don't know, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting worked yeah. up thinking about it, you know, but it's, yeah. I mean, if that just brought something into this world that wasn't there beforehand, like it, it, it is, it wasn't yours ever to begin with and it was there now. And I don't know, man, it was, it was fucking powerful. It was just really, and it's fulfilling. And it's, like I said, it's both of you, but outside of you at the same time. It's, I yeah. can see why people do it. No, I mean, my, my only real parallel to this, which granted I will, I will say ended up being nearly life defining was, was at the convention that I was just at, or the convention I'm about to be at at Midwest Fur Fest. I was at the bottom, I was at the bottom of an elevator, and someone came up to me while I was in fursuit. I was as Zathro at the time, and someone walked up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Excuse me, my friend is too shy to ask you, mm -hmm. but could he have a hug? Yeah. And the degree of mission in my life in that moment was so powerful that I actually found it hard to approach him. Mm -hmm. um, and it's part of the reason that I, I endeavor to go to as many conventions as I do because there are a lot of people, I don't want to suggest that furries are damaged. I mean, I, that's, yeah, that, no, ends, up, that ends up being a stereotype, but there, is a, um, but there is a profound vulnerability that a lot of them share because they are so sensitive yes. to this stuff that I, have the power to overcome for them and 
this is always the weird thing where you talk about the nobility of charity and you get into these stupid mind games where the fact that you can be selfish and selfless at the same time, it, it totally misses the point because you the fact that you are helping someone else and as a result doing something for you doesn't denigrate it. Like there's, I forget which philosopher talked about the idea that charity is more noble the farther abstracted you are away from the person receiving it. Like if you don't, like giving it to someone and them not knowing it was you and it was done at random, like that mental trickery, I think puts people in a really awkward place where they are not allowed to enjoy what they have done for other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that is nothing but destructive. Okay. I, I don't think that helps anyone. Um, and well, I think... Where do you stand on doing charity to make yourself feel better? Like, oh, I'm... I'm uh, kind of feel bad about something I did, so I'm going to do charity to feel better about it. If it results in more people being better off, I don't care. Including yourself. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that you have made other people better off. That's enough. That is more than enough. This is why the argument that the 1%, I mean, granted, there are other reasons why this is the case, which is why it's so problematic. But the fact that the 1% has skyrocketed, if general prosperity has increased, but the rich are richer now than they ever were, as long as the poor are not poorer, everyone has still won. Granted, that's not the case. That, that's not actually statistically what's happening. But gaining from other people's gains is universally good. It does not matter that you also get something out of it. It's the fact that you bothered to be selfless at all that matters. That exonerates any amount of self-gain, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and I think just real quickly, too, that you mentioned that you don't want to imply that, like, you know, furries were damaged, but that there's a, a vulnerability there. And the strange thing is that you know, charity has this idea that there that there are people in in need, and this can be people in your day to day life that you encounter as well. I mean, personally, I want to hug my mechanic every time that he fixes my car because <laughs> I have a need and he helps me out. And I know I, I know that I exchange money for that, but at the same time, like I you know I bring my I bring my mechanic like donuts when I bring my car in just <laughs> because there's I, I have to make a gesture that shows that this is like. But this is meaningful, and I don't want this to be some sterile fucking exchange. That I appreciate that he that he takes care that he takes care of me, and that when I am in need, and you know, when I work with my students, I mean, to you know, I still I, it just once again, I don't you don't want to trumpet what you do, but it does feel good when you can help someone, or when they say, you know, like I didn't know what was going on until I was in your class, and you know, to a weird extent, you're just. You know, you're like, all right, well, you know, you did the work. You know, I put you through this. And, you know, I'm, I really am glad that you worked on these kinds of things. So it's just, it's just strange that, you know, when you're involved with that, that someone is in need. And sometimes it can be a, a more basic need. Sometimes it can be a very, you know, palpable, a very, a very uh, you know, in-your-face kind of a need. But the fact that you can provide or, or give or assist in that need, there's something, there's just a really human <laughs> it's hard it's to el it's elemental man it's it hard like to be really, sad when you're useful yeah it is like it is really really elemental the kind of just connection that you build off something like that and i can't i'm, I'm done talk i can't like, <laughs> put it in any other way i just yeah. i just clutter it up with more words yeah but, i i think that's what i found uh why i like what i do is because you go in 
to a Walmart. It's ridiculously hot. Everyone's sweating. You spend four hours boiling your hands and getting burn marks down your legs trying to fix something and then you come back in and everyone's happy yeah it's one of those like i i did my part to make these people's days less shitty so and that's all the jobs that i've enjoyed it was like when you're a raft guide it's you got a you got someone's vacation they spent a lot of money to be out here and they happen to get you, who has only been guiding for about a week, but they don't know that, and you're not going to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to make sure that they have the best experience possible because you want them to have a better vacation because of you, which is one of those weird things where I get into It's like, am I really doing this for someone else, or am I doing this for myself because I know that I want to be the one that made their day happier that that's such a me that's such a creepy thing though because it's just it and i understand that humility matters a lot it's what keeps people from resting on their laurels and that's why the human condition forces you to be selfish this way and selfless this way because i am uh, pursuant to my talk about the one percent raising themselves as long as they raise everybody if reaganomics actually worked suppose mm-hmm I am I am perfectly fine with Bill Gates saying, guess what, motherfuckers? Malaria? This guy right here. Right. Like, I'm okay with that. But yeah. the fact that he is not willing to do that is probably what keeps him going. Because if he was that self-satisfied, it would probably result in him at some point giving up. And at this point, Bill Gates has not. Bill Gates just, I mean, for the sake of the historicity of the podcast, Bill Gates just teamed up with, I think Zuckerberg is now on, is now in this boat. They're building a multi-billion dollar firm to get clean energy off the fucking ground at some point. Yes. He didn't need to do that. Right. I mean, I, I know I've said this before on this podcast. How much money do you need? How much money is fuck off money? If $80 billion is not enough money to convince Bill Gates that he doesn't have to care, there's no number. All he will do is move his sights higher, and we, we owe him a tremendous lot. And we, granted, we gave it to him. We gave it to him in the form of $80 billion. But the fact that he is being self—the only way you could call him selfish is that he is building a legacy. And I think I'm okay— I think I'm okay giving him a legacy for that. Yeah, no, I don't. You think you think those means justify the ends? I, you know, it. I just have a hard time building the case the other way. Yeah, Jacob. I mean, it's like you know, is the world a better place with him having done this? Even if he does erect a few statues to himself, metaphorically speaking, along the way. Yeah, as like, long as those statues are not made out of arsenic and uh, tetrahydrine. Yeah, he's, not, he's and not Alexander the fucking Great, you know? Like, there wasn't, like, a, a troth of dead Persians in his wake or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? where, yeah, but where does that line get drawn? How many necks, it, like, how many necks need to get snapped before it uh, justifies the end? Yeah. Oh, yeah, many, no, that's... Wang computers are there in the wake of Steve Jobs, you know? Oh, yeah, no, that... Well, and that's always the dangerous thing, is that well, in the case of a lot of... Uh, in the case of a lot of extremely rich Forbesian charity, it's, you know, how many... 
Well, how much of this is damage control? Yeah. Well, no, you get, I mean, that's like, you know, we can get into like Zizekian Marxist critiques of capitalism, right? They they give back with I don't the right think hand. We can. They give back with the right hand what they steal with the left. But I don't, okay, maybe, once again, we're doing a little What's bit of What's his a, term for that? It's it's uh, something capitalism. Yeah. It's, um, is it moral capitalism? That doesn't sound right. No, it's a great term. But it's, it's, the, star, it's the Starbucks thing where it's okay you're giving these people four bucks for a coffee, but it's all right because we treat the employees all right and with yeah. fair trade coffee and we plant a tree and we do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the excusing. It's the excuse. It's a great, I'll, I'll edit in what the term is. The term in question is cultural capitalism. But they, um, but one of the things that also is kind of fun too is, I mean, not fun, but one of the things that's also important is that, you know, when we kind of look at this issue of selfless selfishness, um, talking about charity, you know, they say that like charity begins at home, and I don't mean to take that in its kind of like common usage, but you know, when you guys have thought about, th- thought about, or if you think about in your own personal lives, you know, have there been times with friends or in relationships where you've been able to help someone out in need as well? Uh, you know, it's it's always those kind of things where you can always be more useful, or in fact, be and and provide someone with a need when you actually understand them and are close to them and understand what can actually be good for them. And in some cases as well, that, you know, this sense of charity this doesn't have to be the kind of larger or anonymous charity that most people go through. But as you said, like it, the most noble act occurs when you're furthest away from someone. But at the same time, I think maybe the most impactful or incisive act of charity can occur when you are closer to that person. Yeah. And I think no, that, I, yeah. I, I definitely... To that point, I, I, don't misunderstand me. Oh, I, just... I was specifically denigrating that that idea that nobility is at a distance. I think that's completely misguided. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't mean to put that hat on you, but I was just yeah. kind of raising that as a counterpoint because it's also been as well where I've experienced that also. And I think that you know the idea that you haven't done charity work is you know in big quotation marks in the sense that you went to a you know a big building and then like did charity work at, for someone else or for an institution that does it. I mean, yeah. you know that kind of giving or selflessness can occur. And usually does occur, I think, most of it's at the interpersonal level for most people as well. Yeah. Is there a danger in this kind of, not to denigrate what anybody's done, but is there a danger in doing charity work to the fact that people who don't do the same amount of charity work or the same kind of charity work as somebody else are treated as selfish, even though they may not be? They may not have the means or the ability or the time to do the kind of charity work that other people do. I think that's just the cost of doing business. Yeah. I think at some point it's an unfairness. It's certainly easier for Bill Gates to be charitable when compared to anyone else in this room. I that's that's a given. It's easier for him to do virtually anything and you just you kind of have to bear that. And we have to give him that pride because even if Bill Gates doesn't specifically want it, plenty of people that do charity are doing it for the legacy. They're doing it for their own pride. And that's kind of what we pay them with. It's what we are giving them in exchange. And again, in the most mathematical, in the most mathematical instrumental way, that has to be worth it because the alternative is that people are deliberately selfish because we see through the veneer, we see through the bullshit. We know why they're doing this is to make them look better. And granted, a lot of people buy that. A lot of people are highly indulgent of the view that people are willing to do damage control PR on, on who everyone thinks they are. And this is why the Koch brothers in particular, I mean, the Koch brothers are still in business and they're still doing 
marginally awful things around the world, ecologically speaking, so they don't necessarily get off the hook either way. But anything the Koch brothers do, I mean, the, po- the Koch brothers supported, like, hugely, monetarily supported gay rights. David Koch did, anyway. Nobody cares, because that looks like a cover-up. They, their PR message will not get out until they're done doing real damage, and that is where that's where we get them. That's where your side of that equation where they don't they don't earn that until they have stopped doing damage. Bill Gates didn't really start up all this stuff. At least I, I think I have my history right on this. Bill Gates didn't start doing all this charity work until after you retired. Yeah, until he became much, you know, until yeah. he he ascended, as it were. Yeah, well, he, I, he got done taking before he gave back. And I bring this up because I was reading an AMA from an author I read uh, recently, I think it was today, where he basically complains about the fact that not, of him, not enough of his book readers were donating to his charity. And it came across as a little whiny and very pompous. Uh, that he, It's great that he's doing charity work. Great that he's being selfless in this regard. But I don't know that that means that he has any standing to think less of his readership for not contributing in the same way that he is. That's a really sticky one in an era where charity now ends up being a PR campaign in a lot of cases. Um, I mean, it, it's really it's really hard to justify raising money anymore unless it's for charity if you want to look grassroots. So there's this weird expectation around charity. I mean, every time anyone does, and every Twitch stream has a charity associated with it now. I mean, you look at almost anything with more than a thousand viewers, the only way they get around being paid for the ads, if they even have them, is to say, oh, don't worry, it's for charity. Like, that's how you wash your hands of all of that responsibility. How do you get in on that racket? Um, Is that true on the Twitch? Well, it's legitimate in most cases. Yeah, the Twitch, uh, the the speedrunning marathons yeah. uh, summer games Get done really quick and games. awesome games done quick they do the summer games done quick is for doctors without borders i believe and awesome Ooh, games done quick is yes. for prevent cancer association um so each of them that sounds right yeah so each of them the past time that they've done it uh, in january for awesome games done quick and and uh, august for summer games done quick they've each raised more than a million dollars for those particular organizations I don't think it's a racket. I think that they are legitimately doing that. Okay, oh, no, good, yeah. no, they absolutely, it's legitimate, but the the reason why they're doing it, and for, the fur conventions do exactly the same thing. Every single furry convention is a nonprofit with a charity behind it because that's that's our way of hiding, and I'm actually, I'm going to do a panel at MFF that doesn't directly address this but is related to it the way that we are perceived in the wider world because it is so hard to not get bad PR in the fur community. Um, one of our easiest tactics that we've used for a long, long time is that we donate a shitload of money to charity. Like, we just put that forward as a thing that we can say, also, fuck you, whatever you think. Right. It, it, it's like <laughs> it's like we're holding charity hostage. I noticed this, too, when I was at the Magic Game on Sunday when we were at the concession stand. The people working the concession stand, their shirts explicitly say that it is the Orlando Magic nonprofit something such and such so it's yeah they are twelve dollars for this coke please yeah basically yeah they're yeah. holding they're holding the they're they are holding charity hostage as a way to improve their pr and that's that i think there's gonna be some form of backlash over time about this maybe not a backlash but i think there's gonna be a jading effect of this over time 
You think it's yeah. just selfish selflessness where they become so enamored with the idea of charity that they I don't denigrate, think... that they put down people no. who aren't as selfish, self selfless as they are? You don't think so? Well, when a company like uh, like uh, like an NBA or an NFL say nonprofit, that just sounds like a oh we're trying to look better in the the public eye for the fact that everyone has multi million dollar salaries. It's well, not everybody. It's the, the players, but the, the a lot of the people behind the scenes in the organizations don't make that kind of money. Yeah, but hospitals. Yeah, are the they same don't. Way. You know, a lot of hospitals are nonprofit with you know multi million dollar board members and things oh, like yeah. that. Nonprofit too, hospitals yeah. have a profit margin of twelve percent. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the things where David was talking about becoming jaded. I'm definitely one of those because out here in California, if you don't donate to charity, then you're garbage. And if you do donate to charity, you're holier than thou. But it's one of those like I've I almost am weary of people who donate to charities because you have things like the blood bank where it's like, oh, donate your blood for free. It's a it's a non for profit thing. Well, then why does the president have a seven-figure income? He's selling your blood that you give him for free so he can fly a jet around. Hmm. Well, no, but there's, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of problems, too, with, like, where the social pressure that comes into that. You know, because I, I, I get accused of kind of being a dick sometimes, of, you know, maybe being a little bit selfish interpersonally. Sometimes. By who? I'll tell you who. No. Uh, but it's, you know, some people are like, well, you know, if you, like, if you say something. So you're talking about, like, critiquing, right? Like, people would think that they're being, you know, selfless by... You know, not like not critiquing your podcast, right? Like they're going to protect you, right? They're going to like, you know, uh, uh, not going to tell you what they feel honestly about something. But in the same sense, maybe they need to be a little bit more selfish in the sense that, you know, expressing this or getting this view out there interpersonally is not, in fact, being charitable. Uh, what would be charitable would be to actually provide you with honest feedback that might actually help you become better at something. So there's this like odd definition where this is like, you know, where you think you're protecting someone else, but you're in fact only protecting yourself and avoiding the kind of feelings that kind of are associated or especially in a social context of what you're afraid will actually be perceived of you as actually being, which is why when they, you go through Publix and they're like, do you want to donate to charity? I'm like, no, I donate to charity that I want to support. Like, I don't need you reminding me of this. I am confident in my charitable donations, thank you very much. <laughs> and I say it loud enough so everyone can hear me because I'm not going to bend to the social pressure that, like, I'm a bad person because I don't give 10 bucks to the March of Dimes. Fuck you, March of Dimes. I've got my own charitable giving that I do, and I feel very confident in it. And so, you know, in, in that sense, it might be, it, like, am, am I selfish? I might have to edit that if we get an executive of March of Dimes on here. Yeah, I would Which is an, a strong possibility. Well, I... The March of Dimes uh -oh. has been helping yeah. people since 1972, <laughs> and I really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. So, no, it's just, but it's it's no, not. No, the thought still stands. Yeah, it's no, just... it's not. It's not anything that I do directly, but it is that. But it is that very mechanism where someone cows to the expectation of, of being charitable, when in fact they're 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 being, they're not exactly representing the the, the spirit of the thing which is that if you are going to be charitable, there needs to be some sort of directness or intention behind it, not merely passive social acceptance that, like, this is what I'm supposed to do and I don't want to be appeared to be a bad person, so I'll go ahead and do this. Like, no, it, I, I actively engage in what I feel to be charitable, and I don't feel I, I owe anyone any explanations or apologies when I, you know, choose to cho when I choose myself because I'm confident in the fact that I've chosen or, or, or sacrificed to a certain extent for the charity that I've, uh, you know, 
provided other people in my life. Sure, but that ends up being two-sided tape because there are only so many charity bucks to go around. Fucking A, man. And I don't, yeah. you know, once again, be confident and be sure and be a little bit selfish when it comes to the social pressure of having to give to these kinds of things. Yeah, tell that's that author, the, that's... tell him to go fuck himself, all right? If he wants me my money, demonstrate that this is actually worthy rather than trying to, like, guilt me into something. Fuck that guy, really. No, it's... that's exactly what he did. Exactly. He fuck. did exactly what you did in reverse. Did you donate? I did not. You no. tell him to go fuck himself? No, I didn't talk to him. But. Oh, okay. You should have ate him ate all <laughs> well, over that guy's ass. Yeah. Ryan, you're definitely the an outlier to that. in that case. What do you mean? You definitely, you definitely re you research. Most people just oh, give yeah. because they ask for a dollar. Like, it, like, what caused you to care about that kind of stuff? Like, I'm like, is that a socioeconomic okay, okay. or was it a raising thing? Uh. Yeah, it's a, no, it's like David said, it's definitely, you know, you, you give what you have the means to be able to give. And I mean, I'll be, like I said, I'll be honest, I, I kind of backed into doing the charity thing, especially with the, with the, with the, with the uh, adult illiteracy center. You know, if I didn't have a personal experience that had opened my eyes to this issue, I would not have ever pursued it. And I might not have been involved with the charity work at that time that I had as well. But it was just, you know, it was kind of an, it was a moment that realized that this was, something that I needed to kind of accomplish or that I should be perhaps involved in and that I could do this and realizing once again, there's the need and the ability to help like those two, that's like fucking peanut butter and jelly, man, that those things go together really, really well. And from that moment, now that I, you know, once again, I don't have the really the time to donate anymore, especially since I be, you know, I became a teacher and I kind of, to a certain extent satisfied that emotional fix with what I do now anyway. And at the same time, you know, I still donate money to the organization, and that's what I choose to focus on. And it's something that, you know, I've researched it because I, well, I've lived it to a certain extent. And that's why I tend to feel it's an important mission and an important goal. But once again, far be it for me to judge someone else and how they choose to, you know, if they give charitably interpersonally, right? Do you donate money? No. Well, you're an asshole. Like, well, no, this person might have helped out their uncle who had cancer and who lives with them. Like, fuck, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't preclude anyone's selfishness from... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't prejudge anyone's selfishness when I see it because I am more, I'm more confident in my selfishness because of my selflessness. <laughs> and that's a good, that's a good attitude to have. I don't think that people should be pressured into charitable donations to any particular organization. That was one thing that was interesting about the ice bucket challenge when that happened a year ago, where it felt almost like people were being pressured into donating to that that wasn't a you get to call them out yeah. you get to call them out you get to like nominate people you literally to nominated people to Ugh. do this challenge to to raise money for this particular charity it was very much effective a social yeah, it was effective it raised like 560 million dollars for uh yeah. was it als research i think yeah it was als i mean i participated in that because i was very selfish i wanted to splash dylan with ice water yeah there you go. well it works both ways <laughs> it does. you can be simultaneously vindictive and be part of the conversation yeah it and covers it was, all bases i mean it's a fantastic all five flavors of charity it right. is a very effective method of raising money yeah. but is it healthy to pressure people into charitable donations it's the ketchup of charity um sure why not no okay. i <laughs> there's uh, what, what is the alternative I mean, is is the is the alternative that there is some form of either legal or unwritten social contract that you, that advertising and marketing is only allowed in a profitable sphere? Because 
that means that you would have to find those things. And the problem is that there are a lot of fantastic charitable causes, just like there are fantastic products, that nobody knows about because nobody's heard of them. Like, word of mouth is not enough most of the time for these things to get the groundswell they need. Now, granted, budgets are disparate. So, generally, we don't end up allocating things correctly. But getting the word out, at the very least, I mean, maybe the pressure is the component where this breaks down. But knowing about these things, that's why there are all the awareness months and weeks and days and all that stuff. It was Apparently, it was Trans Awareness Week sometime recently. I was under the impression it had been Trans Awareness Decade yeah. at this point. I was, wow. well, I was a little curious why they needed a day for it. But... I, the the pressure, the pressure side of it's a little different. You do need to be aware of it, though, and that's already marketing. So you're tr- drawing a line on that's really hard. It is difficult. Yeah, I, I think at a certain point, these kind of groundswell move, groundswell movements that are just initially about visibility for the charity can morph into something more, though, where they're less healthy, and that's hard to control. Really. Sure. Well, I mean, consider any, absolutely any charity campaign around cancer would instantly fall into this bucket because everybody knows what cancer is. If you gave a shit about cancer, you could donate to cancer. You could donate to, there's a million different charities that do either brain, breast, lung, etc. All the cancers are represented in the charity community and everybody knows them. So... Under this regime, is it even acceptable to acknowledge that these charities exist? It's a good question. I think it's acceptable to acknowledge that they exist. Uh, I mean, the NFL has its whole Breast Cancer Awareness Month where they wear the pink ribbons. Well, that's October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month or September, one of those. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, they do. But they have a very, Mm -hmm. you know, a public showing of this kind of uh, uh, outreach, if you will. Does that fall under that umbrella? Because everybody knows that breast cancer exists by now. Everybody knows that breast cancer exists. I don't know that how many people are aware that it's not the deadliest form of cancer. And That's that not gets, what they're promoting on Breast uh, Cancer it's, Awareness Month. That it gets a disparate number of cancer research, do- research dollars compared to some other forms of cancer. Yeah, man. Where's, the, where's pancreatic like cancer? Breast. But the people yeah, who people, are... There we go. It's, yeah. Yeah, huh, uh, uh, it is breast. selfish, isn't it? It was funny because I, I was going to say it was sexist, but in the opposite direction. See, so here I am. That was arguing. a good save. It probably yeah, feels like I'm much, arguing yeah, against much... giving to particular charities. But that's not really the idea. Just... <laughs> Mitchell, what do you yeah. have against breasts? Uh, breasts are awesome. Yeah, oh, very yeah. good. My body. Oh. Oh, they're still there. But at the same time, when we devote that much attention to breast cancer in that particular month, September or October, does it take away from donations to other cancer it foundations? It absolutely does. Yeah. And yeah, it does, but to, it yeah. But it brings to light one of the charities though, because if they didn't do that, then none of them would get none of them would get uh recognition. Ryan's bowing out. We'll get to... Um, peace? There was a peace sign. That was... Uh, that's old man Riley. Channeling his inner Nixon. He's uh, <laughs> He has to go to bed. It's too late. It's too late for old man Riley. Too late. Oh. You're yeah, in California. It doesn't count out there. It's only 7.30 for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's, uh, that's Joe Rogan makes one of my... Jacob, to your point... Uh, 
Joe Rogan makes one of my absolute f- most favoritist arguments for not being competitive with people in your field. Um, he, Joe Rogan is notorious for a lot of things. Uh, one of the positive things he's notorious for is being a promoter of comedians, despite the fact that he is a comedian himself. And a lot of people think that's weird, but his explanation for it is incredibly elegant and explains a hell of a lot. There are not 10 comedians and $9. That's not the world that comedians live in. If comedians promote each other, more money flows into the entire system because more people become engaged in the entire aspect of it. And I assume what you were getting at with the breast cancer awareness thing is that you, it, yeah. the mere awareness of charity makes people more charitable in general. Yeah, because most people who sit around and just watch football, they're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to go down and help the people who can't read read. I'm not. I'm going to go down and help the wetlands out by uh, cleaning, picking up trash. They're just they're watching football. So if you can expose them to something like that, then they will get involved in it. So Hopefully. it's not like that money. It's not like that money's tainted. Money is money when it comes to a charity. <laughs> There's people that might argue about that, but I'm not about to be one of them just because that ends up that ends up being an awkward conversation. Yeah, yeah we can get into whether topic. taxes could be a form of coercive charity when it's yeah, yeah. That well, that's exactly what I was it's thinking about. Kind of worm. That's, yeah. We don't have to go into that. We're just yeah. private. Are taxes charity? They can't be. No. No. All right, anyway. <laughs> Depends on how conservative you are. <laughs> yeah, but here I am arguing against uh, against being coerced into giving to particular charities. I don't think that any given charity is necessarily a bad thing. There are some that are better than others, some that distribute their money or their resources better than others. And I think that some of They're the ones... They're definitely bad charities. That, yeah, that's true. And I, I feel like some of the the... Some of the better charities probably don't get the visibility that they deserve because the charities that spend more on advertising and just promoting their own causes are the ones that get the most donations. Yeah, but yep. how, how do you fix that without that is def- a lot of laws? That is an excellent question. I mean, you don't. Not, You'd have yeah, to give, like, free airtime, uh, open airtime for charities. You need the BBC. Yeah. And we're, we're done with the BBC in the United States. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but it's not feasible. There's no way to get rid of it because yeah. it's like uh, the NRA and PETA. It's like, well, neither of those are particularly subtle with their messages. And a lot of people who agree with their message, quote unquote, don't agree with them, but they're the heavy hitters. Yeah. They're yeah, the only true. ones people know about. They're the ones with the lobbyists. They're the people who can make a yeah. difference. So you have to go with them. I mean, to a lesser extent, that's just the... um. That's that's the exact same issue you have with political parties is you have to go with the people who have actual leverage because it doesn't make sense to go with someone who doesn't have any authority, even if they're using that authority at most peripherally for what you want. So in this case, the selflessness of this charity of these charitable organizations becomes selfishness, selfishness as they want to promote themselves to get more charitable dollars. Yeah. And the selflessness ends up being corrupted by that. Um, as you increase the marketing, as more money flows into the system, you you can have more people part of those organizations. You can have more people that are part of those organizations that can have more dubious, if not nefarious, goals with being there. 
and unfortunately sometimes yeah well and you need once once your charity is more than a couple thousand dollars you need extra help and those people may be in it for the money so that uh, they can't be an ultimate evil and i'm absolutely i am i i am 100 percent on the market side for most things so i'm not i'm not about to suggest that all charities need to be run by people who have other jobs like i want people working whole all the time on the things that need to get done in these arenas that are then funded by people who care about them but that is one of the hardest things to reconcile in a market-based economy um you just you can't there are a lot of places where it's just it's almost impossible to get funding for those kinds of things especially if whatever you're promoting is not particularly sexy which is why a lot of diseases get left off that list that's Aside true. from cancer. Colon cancer gets no love. Prostate <laughs> cancer gets no love. Yeah. Very few cancers get love aside from breast cancer, honestly. Just People like breasts. Yeah. Yeah. There's no research money for lung cancer because lung cancer is one that people think is the victim's fault more than others. That certainly doesn't help them, no. Which is not always the case. Was there any other angles to the uh, selflessness? Selflessness. I cannot say those two words next. Can week. you crash a car into a bad person, and does that count as a selfless act? <laughs> if you are driving down a road, and there is a person in front of you that you're about to hit, and the only way that you can swerve is if you hit a truck full of children, would you do it? What you wouldn't <laughs> well, be thinking what about crimes, that. What crimes do those children commit? Well, the, one of them could be Hitler, in the future. Uh, no, Could because be. Hitler already happened. You can't. You can't. So have Jeb one. Bush, Jeb Bush said that if he Godwin's could go law. back in time, Godwin's law. He said that if he could go back in time and kill Hitler, baby Hitler, Godwin's not, law, not old Hitler. He said if he could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, that he would. Yeah. Yeah. He's tough on crime. Is that selfless? <laughs> no, that's no. not even remotely selfless. No. <laughs> that is not selfless. We'll have about fifteen minutes once we cut out. All the Dota talk and the. Well, that was mostly in the uh, <laughs> the prior podcast. What, what podcast? And on that note, <laughs> Jacob, thanks for joining us through the airwaves. Yep. Mitchell, thanks for joining us in the meat waves. You're very welcome. <gasps> oh, I wish I had meat waves. If you too wish you had meat waves or are just looking for more bullshit like the thing you just listened to, there is plenty of it to go around at actualgarbage.net. Thanks for listening.